Welcome to Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, the queer James Bond podcast. I'm Shane Holland. And I'm Andrew Wheeler. And on this episode, we're going for the gold again as we discuss the 1959 Ian Fleming novel Goldfinger. Will we be driving onto the green with another classic, or are we stuck in the rough? Stay tuned for our breakdown and many more hilarious golf jokes. But Uh before we get into those, Andrew, have you been up to anything very Bondy this week? Well, I'm going to say the bondiest thing that I've done this this past month, really. We we, oh, we took yeah. a little time off for for Pride. Uh, we decided if Pride weekend came along that we just weren't going to be in any fit state to record this episode, so we we postponed it a little bit. I nearly uh, wept when Andrew suggested it at the bar. Uh, it was a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful idea. Maybe we should just take Pride off every year. Um, <laughs> no fit state to record podcasts, and, and we deserved we deserved the little break. So yeah, That's so right. we've we've been away a little longer than expected, and during that uh, month away, my image comic sins of the Black Flamingo. Uh, launched uh, issue one of five came out in stores uh, to uh, really a wonderful reception people have been very mm-hmm. positive about it um, not least because of the amazing art from uh, Travis Moore and colorist Tamara Bonvalen and the uh, the lettering of Aditya Bidikar I'm it's, sorry did you say Tamara Bond villain <laughs> Uh, it's, it's often crossed my mind, but no, Bon Villain. Uh, it's so close, so close. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I mean, one of the best colorists in the comic industry. And I do think it's quite a Bondy book. It's, it's set in Miami, familiar setting. It's got a lot of sexy hijinks. It's got some over the top villains. Uh, it's very queer. The creative team is entirely queer. And, uh, yeah, it's been so nice to have such a positive reception to what is really the, the biggest book of, of my career so far. So uh, please do go check that out if you can grab a coffee um, and and support the book. That would be fabulous. And tell everyone you meet on the street about it. Thank you very much. (laughs) So proud of you. Thank you, my darling. Uh, What about you? What's the bondiest thing you've done this week? Or month? Well, (laughs) or month, I guess. You know, for the... First time in years, and in true Bond fashion, I ended up at the hospital, not for myself, (laughs) but for my partner who fell over the uh, front wheel of his bicycle uh, and ended up breaking his wrist. But I've got to say, it was the first time in a hospital in years, and what a nightmare. What a nightmare. Uh, I imagine that if Bond actually had to go to the hospital for all of the breaks and cracks and bruises and bumps and concussions, uh, that we wouldn't get as many novels as we do get because, <laughs> my God, it takes a long time to get seen. And then you go from one doctor to the next. Oh, it was a nightmare. Uh, but in other kind of Bondy stuff I did, uh, Bond is all about fashion. And I got to model some fashion during Pride for a local clothing store, Grapefruit. Uh, we did it on the Proud FM stage. Uh, during Toronto Pride weekend, and I had a great time shaking my bare ass in front of a crowd of strangers. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> this is why we couldn't record an episode, you see. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's uh, what I do in my spare time, folks. Uh, and Oh, and I guess, I mean, if we're going to plug things, then I also guest, uh, guest starred on another podcast called Bitter Jurors. It is the only queer survivor podcast. And I had a great time talking to Derek and Sam and my bestie Ronnie about uh, Ronnie's... Pff, 
two decades old survivor otter creek a little uh vanity project from high school uh that they finally edited into an actual series length feature wow. uh yeah it's been so fun to watch check out survivor otter creek on youtube listen to bitter jurors they're all great people uh and you know support queer artists <laughs> So we're recording this episode on the day that the sad news comes to us that the composer Monty Norman has died at the age of 94. Norman is best known, of course, as the composer of the iconic James Bond theme, one of the most famous and celebrated pieces of film music ever recorded. Monty Norman wrote and performed in his early career for so many gigantic stars of the time, uh, like not just music stars, but comedians uh, and just stage presences, including Count Basie, Spike Milligan, Peter Sellers, Cliff Richard, and so many more uh, before he began composing scores for musicals and films from the 50s all the way until the late 80s. Uh, undeniably, his biggest hit was the aforementioned James Bond theme, especially as arranged by John Barry. Uh, but I think it's worth noting that it all stems from this incredibly cringeworthy piece <laughs> from an unproduced musical called A House for Mr. Biswas. And Andrew, if you could just plop, oh, I don't know, maybe 15 <laughs> seconds of this in here so people can hear it. Uh, and that's about all you need to know. Like, <laughs> I was born with this unlucky sneeze. And what is worse, I came into the Honestly, it's, it's such a shock when you discover this for the first time. Many of our listeners may be hearing this for the first time. Um, um, and you can hear it. It's all there. Like, the, it is essentially the James Bond theme that he uh, took and rewrote. Um, but, oh, God, the lyrics are hard to listen to. Oh, that, that should be enough. We can turn that off. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's it, it. Once you hear that it, the song was originally like a pastiche, traditional Indian music sort of goof. It's hard to unhear that. Um, mm. You know, you can you can hear it in the sort of the structure of the uh, and the sort of rise and fall of the of the melody. Yeah, it's uh, House for Mr. Biswas is a novel by V.S. Naipaul, so this was supposed to be an adaptation of that. The work itself is you know post-colonial from an Indian author, but of course the English, with their usual tact and decorum, were going to turn <laughs> it into some sort of travesty. Um, so we can say that as Canadians, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but uh, yeah, Monty Norman, I, I hope he lived a, a, a very full life on the uh, royalties of this one track. Honestly, probably set him up for life. Oh, 100% did, yes. Even though there is, you know, there's some contention that, that what made it iconic was the John Barry arrangement. But, uh, but you know, Monty Norman definitely did write the melody. And for whatever reason he wrote it, it, it is a classic. It is enduring. Um, and so, yeah, I, I hope that his 94 years on this earth uh, were comfortable ones. And 94 is a, a heck of an age to get to. We can all hope to get that to that age. <laughs> Cheers to that. And speaking of cheers, before we dive into our conversation this week, it's time for our regular drinking segment. Ooh, that sounds like a problem. Andrew, what are you mixing up this week? <laughs> uh, for my regular drinking this week, uh, well, <laughs> I, looking at the novel and where alcohol comes up in this one, um, you know, in the in the movie, of course, it was the mint julep was the, the iconic drink of the Kentucky Derby. But in the book we learn that this version of goldfinger does not drink he thinks that alcohol mm. is is poison which, you know, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's right um but he yeah. also has lots of like 
what to me feel like crackpot Facebook theories, but maybe maybe they were true at the time <laughs> that that there are all these like secret poisons in alcohol, like in the same way that cigarettes, I guess, actually did have secret poisons in them. Um, he thinks that there are like added toxins or, or special like things in alcohol that that are just destroying you. And again, he's right. But the thing that's, but that's the is alcohol. alcohol. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you don't need to invent some, some extra bogeyman of a, of a, like a, a poison. And, and so he said that Napoleon brandy was especially egregious. So of course I went out and bought some Napoleon brandy uh, to try and <laughs> mix a cocktail with. And the cocktail I, I settled on is the Vieux Carré, though mm. this is a bit of a remix. Let's, let's be honest. So traditionally you would mix equal measures of rye, cognac and sweet vermouth. Uh, add a splash of Benedictine and a few dashes of Peixot bitters and uh, stir with ice and then pour into a glass and serve with uh, a cherry, maybe a, a curl of orange peel. Um, I decided that I was going to make mine with the cheapest Napoleon brandy I could find at the uh, the LCBO across the street. Um, and I didn't want to, well, I did want to get some Benedictine, but thank God they don't have it in stock in the LCBO across the street because it would have been... Very up. hard to find, actually, in general, anywhere. Yeah. It's such a specialty liqueur. And honestly, like $40 for something that is described as being a bar spoon amount... Like that's that's all you yeah. add. Like it's not even a half measure. It's a bar spoon of Benedictine. Like this would have been such. I would have been a fool to spend the money. And thank God the the lords descended and said, no, no, don't bother. Look up what a close approximation might be on the internet. Uh, so yeah, I did not use Peugeot bitters either because I don't have those at the moment. So I used orange bitters and I used fernet, um, which mm. I think probably give something like a semblance of the right flavour. It's not going to be exactly right, but. There's like aniseed in Fernet and there's aniseed mm -hmm. in uh, Peugeot. So in the end, it maybe comes out. Um, so yeah, I decided I was going to make something, something that was using Napoleon brandy cheap bad napoleon brandy and see if it was <laughs> redeemed by this cocktail and i will say it is a very strong very robust cocktail with a lot of herbal complexity that that makes that toxic napoleon brandy an easy sipper uh, i think maybe with a good cognac it would be a smoother drink but i'm not sure that a good cognac belongs in this punchy cauldron of a cocktail um mm. You know, Napoleon Brady does not have a bad reputation in real life, is my understanding. Like, Goldfinger is being a, a, a weirdo in the book. Yes, absolutely, you're right. Uh, <laughs> Napoleon Brandy is absolutely fine. I mean, honestly, Brandy in general is is fine. Uh, yes. Unless you're spending <laughs> o upwards of $300, uh, I think you'll find so many of them are going to have that sweet, plummy, herbal taste to them. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Vieux Carré, it's a perfectly decent po cocktail to make with a, a spirit that I do not generally have in my uh, repertoire. Well, sounds lovely. I'd love to try it sometime, but my god, that sounds like um, <laughs> quite a lot of alcohol in one drink. Oh yes, oh yes. <laughs> Ian Fleming's Goldfinger, written in 1957 and published in 1958, was the seventh James Bond novel, and as with the movie that it inspired, is widely regarded as one of the best in the Bond canon. I have read this book, I think, four or five times in my life, because, yeah, it's pretty iconic. Uh, it's also pretty horrendously racist. It is incredibly <laughs> uh -huh. misogynistic, and oh my god, the homophobia just leaps off the page at you. Uh, but there is something so 
intriguing about the cast of characters that make up the world in this one uh, that I think it's uh, undeniably the queerest Bond novel with such a confused message. I don't know, Andrew, (laughs) give me some of your thoughts overall. One of the things I find interesting is it's simultaneously very close to the movie and and then just divergent in the most extreme ju- ways. Extreme <laughs> ways and and sort of informed ways. Like the choices yeah. that are different are very deliberately different. Um and the effort to stay close to the 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 novel otherwise are are equally like very considered you know like like mm-hmm. this was a this is a the movie tried to be the novel but there were departures that had to be made and then there were other departures that just chose seemed like reflective of a different uh, uh mindset um so yeah i i think a lot of it obviously a lot of it is just making a, a book cinematic like there are things like like the death of jill masterson in the book doesn't need to be something that bond witnesses but in the movie it absolutely does so you you change how that unfold mm-hmm. um, or the the three chapters we spend driving through france and switzerland uh, <laughs> that, that that's a very easy cut into you know a 15 minute segment of the film <laughs> yeah but yes it does like it is a a very brilliantly written uh spy novel like there's no denying it's extremely entertaining but also oof like it is it, it must be as hard as any of these novels although maybe maybe there are no easy ones <laughs> Have there? I f- I feel like at this point, every one of these has made me go, "Oh my god, what are we doing with our lives, Andrew?" <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you know what? Let's dive right into it, starting with part one, happenstance, and chapter one, reflections in a double bourbon. Following a successful assignment in Mexico, James Bond is approached by a man at an airport bar. <laughs> Woof. Oh, <laughs> let's just say that. This novel wastes no time getting to problematic depictions of uh, particularly uh, Mexicans and Haitians. Just a lot of talk about voodoo and gangsters and Bond hates all of them with just so much venom in his heart. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I will say this for Bond, he seems to have, like, conquered his fear of flying by this point Mm. in the sequence of novels, because he just can, like spend his whole time on the flight thinking of another adventure he's had and basically recapping a, a novel that we're never going to get to read. So um, that's nice for him. Yeah, <laughs> an actual character arc. That's nice. <laughs> you yeah, learn something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We get a lot of story about this, uh, this drug deal, this in accidental drug dealer, which will actually prove to be useful later in the plot, but is also mm-hmm. just sort of a lot of noodling on, on, I guess, Bond's, Bond's impressions of what the world has become, you know? <laughs> yeah, a lot of Bond reflecting on death in general, uh, which is, a, you know, I think, a, f- a fun peek into his tormented soul. I really appreciated yeah. it. Uh, there was one line in particular. Uh, was there any person in the world who wasn't somehow, perhaps only statistically, involved in killing his neighbor? And I thought, ooh, dark, true. Like, <laughs> he, he's talking about smoking cigarettes and car accidents and right. sign it like, you know, signing checks to people who make terrible decisions. Uh, and I also found it very interesting that we get kind of an early indictment of the war on drugs uh, in the line, there was alarm in Soho and also among respectable doctors who wanted to save their patients agony uh, mm. talking about the um, 
the war on heroin uh, coming from other parts of the world into England. Uh, and Bond is, I think, a bit more on the side of why are we making this harder for people to get uh, when we right. should be, you know, spending more time rehabilitating them, getting them to doctors. And, you know, as you and I feel like, <laughs> you know, let's fund mental health services and housing for the homeless. Yeah. And let's take arbitrary moral judgments out of healthcare. Yes, exactly. Wouldn't that be a thing? Um, so Bond getting picked up by a rich man at the airport, is this something we think has happened a few times in his uh I would hope so. I mean, Skyfall (laughs) says absolutely yes. Mm -hmm. Chapter 2. Living it up. The man, Dupont, invites Bond back to his hotel to help him discover how his canasta partner is cheating him. Uh, I found it so refreshing for a minor character to reappear. I know it's happened like a couple of times in the novels, Mm -hmm. uh, but I mean, Dupont was... Not a big character in Casino Royale, but he was absolutely in there and, you know, was ma- there was a point made of it. And yeah. to bring back some inconsequential character, which ends up leading to, you know, this entire novel's worth of events, I, I thought was pretty neat. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if that character, like, exists in, in the film canon or not, really. I mean, I guess he might. In, <laughs> there there might have been a DuPont at the... Uh... At the, the card, card table, table in Casino Royale, probably. Yeah. Uh, but I do think Mr. Dupont is an excellent host. I mean, the, the he's oh, he yeah. feeds James half to death, it seems, on his uh, buttery crabs. Um, and uh, and James's reaction to all this is, you know, he'd been he'd been thinking, oh, maybe it would be nice to just be a rich person to live this life of luxury, because we're reminded once again that Bond, for all his glamour and luxury that he appears to have, is actually it's a very like a, poor civil servant. Yeah, yeah. He, he has a fairly like the the real the the Bond of the novels is is not living in a. a gorgeous giant apartment with the biggest coffee machine you've ever seen like he's he's much less well paid than that and he and all his success happens on the company dollar you know um but yeah his response to dupont's buttery crabs is is oh no i don't think this is the right life for me i feel basically he felt gross for eating too much um i I mean he he expresses almost post-coital regret he says suddenly the idea of ever having another meal like this or indeed any other meal with mr dupont revolted him he felt momentarily ashamed of his disgust he had asked and it had been given. Ooh, I mean, <laughs> did they fuck? Did they fuck Andrew? <laughs> I mean, when when the the crabs are that buttery, who can tell what happened? That's right. You know, yeah, slipping around <laughs> all over the place. Um, mm. If a rich man wants to pick me up at an airport bar and take me back to the hotel for buttered crabs, I'm down. Oh, a hundred percent. I would not say no. Um, <laughs> leave the money on the dressing room table. <laughs> Uh, oh, and we get the first gay of the novel, uh, a pensified mm-hmm. Italian waiter. Yes, Bill. Um, hi, Bill. <laughs> yeah, and, and the first homophobia, I guess, of the novel. You know, pansified is, uh, it's not a kind word. Certainly not no. coming out of Fleming's typewriter. <laughs> Certainly. Uh, but we'll get into, like, much more horrendous crimes against uh, homosexuals later. <laughs> Chapter 3, The Man with Agoraphobia. Bond meets the cheat, Auric Goldfinger. 
Ooh, these summaries are so quick because, you know, not much actually happens, even though I have a thousand (laughs) notes. Like, (laughs) truly, that is it. He just meets Goldfinger and they kind of like eye each other up and down. (laughs) Yeah, there are some less eventful chapters than that still to come. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah, wait for it. Um, I love that Bond finds the rich hotel life kind of dull and lifeless, like you were saying. Um, But also, there are no ashtrays apparently uh the the help is sweeping up yesterday's butts from uh in front of the pool before it opens and it's like guys if this is a rich hotel put out a silver ashtray don't let people just drop their cigarettes on the ground i mean but rich people though i mean mm. that you can give them all the ashtrays in the world and they're still they're not gonna drop their them. cigarettes on the ground because there's help to sweep it up so mm-hmm. what can you do you're right, you're what right. can you do these are the people uh, that never take their, their litter with them when they leave the cinema. They just leave them on seats <laughs> because right. they think it's someone else's job. Which, you know, yes it is, but you could still be a, 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 a nice helping good person, about yeah. it. Yeah. The garbage is right by the door, people. Mm-hmm. Mr. DuPont does not allow Jews at his hotel, and so mm. is all of a sudden a lot less likable. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Um, yeah. Not much to say about that. Um, no. Uh, <laughs> We don't get to see a terry cloth onesie, unfortunately. No, we in, don't. In this. It's not described by Fleming, so I guess it doesn't happen. Um, but he it does wear some of the... kind of blue bathing suit, but uh, mm. yeah, it does not sound quite as fun as the uh, look from the film that we so love. Uh, there's a lot of failure happening in the background from like the shitty turnout of his first mission in Mexico. And then he's reading a paper and there's a failed intercontinental ballistic missile launch at Cape Canaveral. There's upsets at the races. It just the novel is building intention kind of in the background from the very start. Uh, mm-hmm. It's masterful. Like he's really setting up the stakes for what is going to happen later. Everything so seems so cheery all the way through part one, even through most of the way till part two, uh, where it really takes a turn. We get a description of Goldfinger that is shockingly sensual, actually. Like he's yeah. talking about him being thick and blunt and fleshy. Like this is a very visceral physical description but not intended to be flattering at all i did, I, I noted that bond maybe to blame for how we talk about short men because he's uh, mm. he's not kind he's n- never kind i mean he does not trust the short men apparently he thinks they all have napoleon <laughs> complexes and i think he's yes. wrong about napoleon because i think we've discovered recently that napoleon was what like five eight five nine just regular height so yeah uh, uh, we, oh. we just measured wrong <laughs> He also says that Goldfinger made a, makes a fetish of sunburn, um, which, you know, it's not a disability like most villains have in his <laughs> right. novels, but this is typical asshole James right here. Uh, also, I think I may know a few people who have a sunburn fetish. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not a fetish. It's just a, 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 a lifestyle. Being a pale oh. <laughs> Northern European. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, I love that Goldfinger keeps calling him James Bomb, and Bond doesn't correct him <laughs> for three times, and then when he does, it's absolutely cutting. That was great. Uh, <laughs> and I will say, Casino Royale did such a great job at explaining a card game you may not be familiar with. Uh-huh. This book does not. I I feel like I could play uh, Baccarat after reading Casino Royale. I have no idea how to play Canasta. Not like a, I would not be able to figure it out at all. 
this book is really saving up its real estate for a golf game. So <laughs> yes, it's, it certainly it's no time. We're going to learn everything about strict rules of golf. <sighs> so. <laughs> Before we get there, chapter four, over the barrel. Bond discovers that Goldfinger is using a spy to cheat. He seduces that spy, one Miss Jill Masterton. I mean, let's talk about his gun and where he keeps it. <laughs> a, a hollowed out book called The Bible Designed to be Read as Literature. Surely um, the only thing no one would ever look at if they were searching a spy's <laughs> apartment. It's so smart. But also, honestly, what the fuck is that book? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's it's real, but also like it it's a it's such a nice, like it's a neat character beat on Bond. Like he's he's not a religious man, he's not spiritual no. at all. And so the fact that this is the book he takes with him to a hotel. Uh, says a lot about him and then you open the book and there's a gun inside that says even more even more him. yeah uh, i i love that detail and i'm it must have been you know heretical at the time in the late 50s to say you're keeping your gun in a hollowed out bible i mean people were still going to churches back then <laughs> it's true uh, i'm just checking to see how if i can buy a copy of this on amazon and uh, yeah, <laughs> hollowed out bible Designed to be read as living literature. Okay. Oh, God. <laughs> no, thank it you. It sounds so fun. <laughs> the discovery of the scene, the setup in Goldfinger's room is so thrilling and sexy. And I'm going to add in there that it's very predatory what James does to Jill. Uh, but, you know. It was nice of him to let her finish her nails. Uh, <laughs> yes, I'll give that. But yeah, I feel like Fleming did not fully gauge what the experience would be for a woman alone in a hotel room who is suddenly uh, intruded upon by a man she has never laid eyes on before. Uh, or I guess in this case has laid eyes on through a pair of binoculars. Um, right. But uh, yeah, like it, this is a terrifying thing that he does to this woman and she underreacts uh because fleming doesn't know women <laughs> no not at all we will learn that time and time again in this novel alone i will say jill comes right out and says that she's a sex worker and we stand legend <laughs> yeah yeah uh yes one of the many sex workers of the bond canon but one of the few to acknowledge uh especially that they are actively in the uh the business Yes, she she like she knows what she's doing. She's unashamed of it. We don't get a tragic backstory like, "Oh, I was beaten or my, I was, you know, sexually assaulted at a young age." Nope. She just gets she gets paid to join men in fabulous hotels and she does what she wants with her money and her life. I love that for her. We will of course get a tragic backstory later and I'm sure we would have got one for Jill, but she's killed so yes it's, you know <laughs> not a, not a, this not and really that. Yeah. A, a great a great score on that front no. um no, no, but no. yeah as i say we are spared the cinematic death of jill in the novel because you know it's not needed it's it, it's very visual in the in the movie and and in the book it's something that is just related to james much later on um so the death and is the used same. as kind of psychological warfare against him yeah. in a way yeah I love the way that he takes down Goldfinger Notch and makes him pay up and confess in like a single sentence to Mr. DuPont about how he's cheating him. It's a great yeah, end but, to the chapter. 
he's really like he's fully inviting here go hell come in this you know the, the oh, way he is yeah. treating goldfinger is very um like antagonistic <laughs> deeply anta- like this is a very rich man and you are absolutely fucking with all his shit you know <laughs> kudos to goldfinger he takes it like a real champ for a lot of this novel no wonder he snaps later yeah yeah no fair enough <laughs> <laughs> chapter five night duty Back in London, Bond performs a background check on Goldfinger. M informs Bond that the Bank of England has also taken an interest in Mr. Goldfinger. Oh, what a coincidence! <laughs> right? Oh, what a surprise. Um, This is the chapter where we learn that Bond just loves being a colonialist cop. Like, this is his favorite <laughs> thing. Yeah. Talk it, talking with people around the world about how to, you know, meddle in drug trades and foreign governments and how to make the British stronger and the enemy weaker. It's of a time. <laughs> it certainly is. Yeah, he, he wants to just spend his spare time in the Identicast room, just, just making mugshots <laughs> of people that he's met on his holidays. It's like... Right? <laughs> For, I, I mean, the guy's a cheat at cards, but he hasn't actually broken any laws to Bond's <laughs> knowledge yet. So right. why are you doing this, man? <laughs> uh, just super doesn't like a, a, an Englishman with a foreign accent, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's right. And Ginger. Oh, God. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, the Identicast does sound amazing. Like, it's it's sort of early Etch-a-Sketch level technology for creating facsimiles <laughs> of people's faces. Yeah. Like, we, the technology has come a long way in that regard, for sure. It really has. This is just like layering pieces of paper over each other. It's, uh, it's amazing. And hoping for the best. <laughs> and having one guy who is hired to just do this job because... It's. It sounds like it would involve a lot of mental gymnastics to be, like, remembering where everything goes. <laughs> I imagine it's a lot of dials and scrolling. It probably looks like the bridge of the Enterprise. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the idea that Bond is writing a book called Stay Alive! Exclamation <laughs> mark is hilarious to me. Honestly. Has it been written? I feel like it must have been written. Since I've got Amazon open for the Bible designed as writing I mean, go for it. Yeah, um, let's find out. I'm um, not basically seeing it. it Oh, it, he's writing a self-defense guide for yeah. uh, spies and law enforcement and anyone else who's interested. Uh, and he's taking he's he's basically saying he's lifting all of this stuff from the files in uh, MI5, which yeah. doesn't sound above board. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he's uh, he, he's a white Englishman. He can do what he likes. Yeah, know? he's got a license to kill. It doesn't matter. <laughs> He's got a license to plagiarize. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we get more. This isn't the first time that Bond has gone on his I don't drink tea shtick, right? The, oh, I hate it. It tastes like mud. Girl, we, we already heard this. We don't need to hear it again. Oh, he, he one-ups himself this time. He says, moreover, <laughs> it's one of the main reasons for the downfall of the British Empire. Now be a good girl and make me some coffee. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure about his historicity there, to be honest. No. You know, it was actually kind of integral to taking on the Chinese Empire and also integral to expanding into India. India, so, yeah, exactly. Just yeah, because he it, lost America. I mean, did you really want America? Look at how it turned out. <laughs> No, it was a terrible, terrible mistake to even go there. (laughs) (laughs) Chapter 6, Talk of Gold. Bond meets Colonel Smithers of the Bank of England and learns that they believe Goldfinger is smuggling gold to India. 
the Bank of England. That's where all your money is going. Uh, wow. <laughs> they, they make it sound like the most luxurious palace that the West has ever seen. Just gold <laughs> trims and hidden doors and balustrades and pillars and uh, port or, portmanteaus. Uh, <laughs> mantelpieces. Uh, <laughs> just so much money in one place and a lot of white people getting rich off of it. Yes, and a lady outside feeding the birds, tuppence a bag. Uh, yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, the uh, yeah, Smithers gets a big promotion in the movie because here he's just some like lowly, um, I guess like an intel sort of guy. Yeah, the yeah. The, the, the Bank of England's police, essentially. But yes, he gets to deliver the life story of Auric Goldfinger, who is another enterprising foreign opportunist, as as so many of the Bond villains seem to be. These people that come from foreign places but manage to settle in England and and be, become self made in a in a country where we're used to wealth just being generational. I I mean, good luck to Goldfinger. Um. Oh wait, it worked out. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, so much nothing happens in this chapter. It really is just the background of Goldfinger. Um, but I will say Bond suggests an ecological disaster, uh, mining the sea for gold, and that feels very on brand. Um, <laughs> they talk about how Goldfinger has uh, a crew of Germans and Koreans, and they didn't know a word of any civilized language, so they weren't any security risk. Ooh. <laughs> It gets worse. Uh, it does get, it new, does get worse. We, we will revisit that concept later in the book. Many, many uh, times. Um, but really, I think the, the most interesting thing here is that capitalism is the crime. <laughs> and that doesn't feel right for the identity of <laughs> Ian Fleming or James Bond, but I love it. <laughs> I mean, bear in mind, capitalism was kind of an intrusive idea for, you know, as I'm saying, generational wealth and oh, capitalism yeah. are not the same, you know, they're, they're very different concepts of, of economic basis of wealth, a nation. Yeah. So, um, yeah, capitalism kind of is a crime if you're, if you're used to money just being, and power just being handed down from one family to, or from, from one generation to the next. Um, we get an incidental hottie, hottie here as uh, Bond is entering. He uh, he sees an athletic-looking pink frock-coated commissionaire, and mm. uh, just the fact that that Bond notes that he's athletic-looking and of course wearing a pink frock coat, I, I want to know more about this uh, gentleman. Uh, you know, I totally forgot to mention, but in Chapter Two at the hotel, Bond al- Bond also notes a male diver uh, mm. who he thinks should go into show business because he's got golden hair and he better use it before he loses it. Uh, <laughs> Bond doing a lot of looking at males and masculine figures in mm-hmm. this novel. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Chapter 7. Thoughts in a DB3. Bond drives to Goldfinger's preferred golf course to arrange a second encounter. I mean, if we need to establish his bona fides as a straight man here we go driving to a golf course to play golf i mean good lord (laughs) it's the it's the next four chapters of the novel uh yeah and this chapter is mostly about driving a car which as you know i not my favorite thing to read about either um 
The car honestly has more of a backstory than most of the women in the Bond universe. <laughs> like we learn all about the choices he got and what's under the hood and why he gets to drive it around the world and that he gets to keep it on the company dot like just so much more information that we'll ever get than we'll ever get about Tilly Masterson. Uh I've very little else to say about this chapter, so you go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> M at the top, uh on the debrief says Personally, I should have thought the strength of the pound depended on how hard we all worked, rather than how much gold we got. And I thought, ha, he's talking about literal strength. I thought that was a very funny joke. I laughed out loud on that one. Um, well done, M. Cracking us up. Right? Uh, Bond's made up his mind about exactly who Goldfinger is, and he's probably about 95% right. Mm -hmm. uh, we learned that Bond golfed twice a day in his teens, which makes him biggest <laughs> prat. Uh, and we also get a very casual mention of Moonraker, still one of the best novels we've read so far. Let's let's just dive on into more of this golf, though, eh, shall we? Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> okay, I had a lot of notes for part one. Part two, my notes get very short. <laughs> part two, Coincidence. Chapter eight, All to Play For. Bond and Goldfinger play golf. <laughs> buckle up kids it's gonna be a, a real crazy ride yeah uh bond puts on this very disinterested character when he meets goldfinger again uh, very <laughs> nonchalant very uh, does not care for the man and it just sounds like bond being bond like he hasn't changed a single thing about his personality <laughs> I, I will say, you, know, you mentioned as in the previous chapter, Bond was great at golf, apparently, once upon a time. I could have gone pro. Um, every action hero seems to be like some sort of frustrated college athlete or a college athlete <laughs> that got injured and, and dropped out. Like, it's it's the go-to, like, backstory that, oh, of course, they were all very good at, at sports until something happened. But for it to be golf, my God. I mean, <laughs> what a stuck. I'm so sorry, Dad, who will never listen to this episode. But <laughs> I, I mean, God, what a boring thing to base all of your personality around. <laughs> hitting, hitting a ball. Like, with I used a to stick. play crazy golf. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> if I'm, if I were going to ever claim any version of golf as my game, it's crazy. I mean, I've played real yeah. golf as well. It's not for me. Um, but even crazy golf, I think, is tremendously boring i grew up by the seaside so crazy golf mini golf these are these are the bread and butter of, of seaside existence um yeah but yeah no not not for, not my sport at all um no, huge same. apologies i think I, I actually developed a theory of golf while i was reading this book for the third time um which is that a lot of like star golfers are very boring people um, and I think in some sports, a lack of imagination, I think this even comes up in the book. A yes. lack of imagination is what is probably actually the key to success. Yeah, it's all like it's how uh, it's about that movie Moneyball, right? They built the best team based on statistics and numbers and percentages. And right. it was a boring team, but they ended up winning the World Series that year. Uh, it's yeah, because if you, if you don't I, have an imagination, you can take risks because you don't catastrophize basically i that's my theory and that truly that truly that's the only interesting thing about these chapters of golf is <laughs> like bond continually taking risks in a game that is very strict and yeah. does not allow for people to take risks in fact he fails like he loses the game because he continues taking risks when he shouldn't he should just you know play the game like goldfinger's playing it 
you know, drive and then putt, drive and then putt. <laughs> yeah, boring. Uh, <laughs> uh, strict rules of golf. Number one, uh, no kissing. Uh, and <laughs> I will say is Goldfinger, you know, he, he dresses flamboyantly. He has disposable income. He's a communist. Is he European? Yes. Yes, yeah, okay, is. yeah, yeah. That's what I was alluding to. <laughs> uh, chapter 9, The Cup and the Lip. Bond discovers Goldfinger is cheating again and cheats back to win the game of golf. This chapter is so long. So, yes. so long. <laughs> surprise, surprise, golf is in- incredibly dull also when in written form. <laughs> like, in the movie, they make it... I mean, I guess just it's a movie. Like, what can you do? It, it, but in the movie, I don't hate it as much as I do in the book. Uh, hate yeah. is a strong word. It, I ju- it, it just we learn me. about every single, every eighteen holes. Like we know their layout, <laughs> their design. We know about each of the shots they take. Oh my god, it was just interminable. Uh, yeah. I do love that Goldfinger and Bond are like playing at each other's nerves throughout, with like the coin jingling, the shop talk, the general mm-hmm. espionage that's happening. It's the only thing that saves this from you know actually being a stinker of a novel is that there's so much <laughs> happening in the background of all of this yes yes that's it i mean you know the what fleming is so good at is is exploring these adversarial relationships through through surrogates through you know a card game a golf game even a conversation over over drinks over a dinner table like that's always been one of the delights of bond it's it's just that golf is particularly unexciting Boring. yeah um, <laughs> yeah I, I do want to give a shout out to Hawker for his deviousness. Mm-hmm. The fact that this guy who, you know, presumably is, is paid to be, you know, upright and proper as the caddy. And, uh, and I don't know. May, oh, maybe all caddies are devious. I don't know anything about caddies. Um, <laughs> no, neither do but, I. But he's very willing to just like, you know, he reads the situation. He sees that the other guy is cheating and he's like, well, then I'm also going to cheat. Um, and, yeah, and he carefully places, the, uh, the, uh, Bond's golf bag on top of Goldfinger's lost ball. Uh, mm-hmm. Goldfinger manages to magically, quote unquote, find his ball, even though we know that it was under Hawker's bag. Uh, and yeah, that's how James eventually wins the game. So Hawker is actually doing the most effective spy work of the novel. Typical. Typical for James <laughs> to not be great at his job. If there's one thing I've learned is that he's not a good spy. <laughs> Last note. Uh, always give the whole a chance, James says to Hawker, and also that's my new motto. <laughs> we'll have to find out what that is in Latin so you can get it, you know, tattooed <gasps> on your tramp stamp. Oh my God, <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> Don't give me ideas, Andrew. <laughs> Chapter ten, up at the Grange. Bond accepts an invitation to dinner at Goldfinger's estate. While Goldfinger is occupied, Bond searches the estate and discovered he's been captured on tape. He frames a cat to destroy the evidence. Cats take uh, quite an important role in the next couple of chapters, which I appreciate and then also lamented. Uh, Yes. (laughs) Bond really hates rich people, but he certainly acts as if he's one of them, which I also appreciate. 
yeah, here he is really sort of like jumping in again to the sort of the, the role play of what it would be like to be rich to, you know, he's, he's sort of flattered that Goldfinger talks to him as if he were, uh, on the same One level. One of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which he shouldn't be. <laughs> There's some real great anti, uh, nouveau riche snobbery from James when he's describing the, the Grange, a heavy, ugly turn of the century <laughs> mansion with a glass enclosed portico and sun parlor whose smell of trapped sunshine, rubber plants and dead flies came to bond in his imagination before he had switched off the engine i mean that's that's brilliant <laughs> yeah that, uh, i know, him I know that filth. building just as well as he does you know <laughs> uh also i i mean tell me what any of this means the medicine cabinet contained nothing except a great variety of purges cenopods cascara Calcelets, Enos, and various apparatus for the same purpose. <laughs> Medicine has certainly come a long way since 1959, huh? Do you uh, do you want me to tell you what all of that is? I'm guessing they're laxatives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, these God. are enemas, and the apparatus is presumably a douche. So, oh um... my God! So, uh, Goldfinger's full of shit, and Bond <laughs> catches that from the very start. Love that. That's hilarious. <laughs> Bond loves to feel rich. Um, he loves to think about Goldfinger in the bath for some reason. Mm, yeah, um, spends a long time thinking about what that scene must be like. Right? Um, uh, Goldfinger coming up with this ridiculous excuse to deliberately leave Bond alone. Oh, one of my men got into trouble. I have to drive to Margate to sort it all out. Um, which I enjoyed only because Margate is where I used to go as a kid all the time because they had the closest theme park, uh, to, to where I grew up. The, uh, oh boy. What was once known as Dreamland and then Bembom Brothers. I, I think it's open again now. It closed down at some point in my childhood. Um, and then, was bought and, and reopened. It had the first upside down pirate ship that I ever got to go on. And I think the first in Europe. Um, so that was Ooh, very wow. exciting. And uh, it's quite a beautiful place. Like the, the dreamland, as it was originally called, like it was a very, I guess it probably started in the twenties or, or maybe the fifties, but it certainly was, you know, it had that British seaside feel to it and a lot of sort of art deco touches. Um, probably very all of cool. which are gone now. I don't oh, think that's where Goldfinger goes, though. I don't think he goes to ride on the corkscrew <laughs> at uh, Ben Bum Brothers. His his servant got caught, like what, lifting some ice cream from one of the stands at the at Dreamland, and that's why. Or he had trying to, go? to trying to sweep the 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 trench below the Mary Rose, which is the upside down pirate ship, because of course everyone's <laughs> coins ah, tumble in there yes, and their keys. Yes. And I would say their phones, but no, no one had a phone no. in their pocket in that era. <laughs> Yours or his or both? Oh. Either. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of technology, the fact that James Bond, the super oh, yeah, spy, the novel, his undoing in this in this scene or his near undoing in the scene is that he didn't think that there might be cameras. Like the idea of CCTV just isn't a thing that he considers in his daily practice of his um, job. But we've seen him do that in nearly every other <laughs> novel. It is so strange that this man who he's already suspicious of, who his yeah. boss has sent him on a mission to like covertly spy on him, that he wouldn't think, oh, maybe the richest man in England might have some secret cameras hidden in these yeah. rooms. He finds a room with all the 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 uh, film sort of t 
sticking out and he decides to sabotage it by putting a cat in the room so that all of the tape is exposed to the light. Um, it's also not something that you could do in this day and age. So very lucky that that uh, solution existed at the time. (laughs) Very unlucky for the cat, as we will learn, uh, because this is the chapter where the racism towards odd job begins in earnest because this is when we meet odd job. Those two things just perfectly. Chapter 11, The Odd Job Man. Goldfinger returns and introduces Bond to his deadly assistant, Odd Job. Okay. <laughs> how, yeah, how do we... Uh, it's bad. It's really bad. There's a lot of uh, racist language that is used to describe, you know, people uh, of uh, East Asian descent. Uh, mm-hmm. And they are... You know, they're very specific words that are used that are then, like, used interchangeably for people from other countries, yeah. uh, which just feels even more horrible than the barefaced fact of using that language in the first place. Uh, yeah, it's pretty difficult. Uh, just a really horrible take, especially on Koreans being ruthless and emotionless. And it's like, yeah. where does that come from? That it's honestly, I mean, like, for a lot of people, this would be their first like exposure to Korean as a as a culture. Like for me, I think odd job. It sounded like James. This was his first exposure uh, to people from Korea. It's like he's yeah. basing all of his uh, instincts on meeting them for the first time here and being like, "Oh, I've never really been up this close to them." Oh, yeah, it's so um, bad. <laughs> yeah, well, like one of the things he says is, uh, "I won't use the the, mm-hmm. the slur," but he says Koreans don't like being called, and then uses a slur for Japanese people. And I thought, Jesus, nobody likes being called slurs, James. <laughs> like, yeah. it's not just Koreans. It's not just the fact that it's the wrong slur. You know, it's the fact that it's a slur. Marketro is a great, great joke about that, which I cannot say, but uh, just well, everyone go watch Margaret Cho. Uh, Goldfinger asks James, do you like cats? His gaze was flat and curious, and James replies, sufficiently. <laughs> Seems about right, honestly. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, imagine taking a job and your boss just changes your name for you to the thing that you do. Like, oh, this is my servant, Stock Boy, and this is my <laughs> other servant, Kitchen Helper. It's, it's, uh, it's not great. I mean, it's literally, yeah, it, it, it's the objectification uh, of, of this man who only speaks to his boss, which is one of the other things we learn about, is that Odd Job speaks in grunts and only Goldfinger can decipher those grunts. Like, everything about that is problematic. Oh, absolutely. And of course, I don't know if it comes up here or in one of the next chapters, we learn that Oddjob has a cleft palate, so Mm -hmm. Goldfinger is not the one with a disability, it turns out his assistant is. Because there Um, had to be someone. And and the grossest part of all is that Goldfinger uh, punishes the cat... Uh, for destroying the film uh, by giving him to Odd Job as a treat. Oh um, no, poor kitty! Poor kitty, oh. but also poor Korean people for mm-hmm. being painted this way. I mean, it's just—it's a really—I mean, it's a, such—it's now such like an old tropey bit of racism. Um, maybe it wasn't at the time. Uh, the idea of of people from parts of Asia eating what we would consider. Uh, pets, pet animals. Yeah. The way the information is presented is entirely othering and 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 unpleasant. Yeah, this was a hard chapter to read. Also, if I were James, I would not be eating dinner. I I would have <laughs> said, you know what, we'll just have drinks. Um, I find it really hard. Sorry, total pivot. I find it very hard to believe that James Bond <laughs> has never heard of karate until this point in his life. 
has it not come up in his uh, in in his book of Stay Alive? Like honestly, in the this is going to be a great new chapter for him. <laughs> also, I think that his description of karate is incredibly wrong. I I may have only <laughs> taken two years of it. I was a yellow belt, thank you very much. Uh, but I don't think that any of the tenets of what I learned are are represented in this novel. No, I mean, the fact that our job is described as one of three in the world with a black belt in karate, <laughs> that tells me that Fleming really had no idea what he was talking about. He was <laughs> yeah, just truly. making the whole thing up. Um, yeah. And speaking, by the way, of being served poison at dinner, as as I think you were implying might be the case of sitting down to dinner with Goldfinger, this is where we get all the stuff about alcohol having secret hidden poisons in it. Oh, yeah. No, Auric, it is poison. That's why we drink it. You are drinking the poison straight up from the glass, yes. Uh, I will say, to that point, back in the day, there it was very easy for spirits to get tainted. We didn't have the right. uh, the processes that we have in place now to protect them from foreign contaminants. Uh, do I don't th- I, I don't think. He's right, though. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> uh, so thank a union representative today for the mm-hmm. fact that we have health and safety standards. In our spirits and wine, yes. Yeah. Chapter 12, Long Tale on a Ghost. Bond follows Goldfinger to France. He notices a woman on Goldfinger's tail. Well, at least this time, the money that he won in a game with Goldfinger goes to a you know, a charitable cause. I guess you could say uh, Jill Masterson was a charitable cause, getting that $10,000 that he won from yes. Goldfinger in the <laughs> card game. Uh, but, you know, M needles him like, oh, you gave it you gave it to the whore, not to the, the service people, huh? <laughs> so Bond, you know, makes daddy happy and gives the money to the White Cross. Yes, good for him. Um, we also learn from M that Goldfinger called the cops on Bond like the true Karen that he is. Love um, that. That, I thought, was a great, great note. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Goldfinger is, uh, he, you know, he's probably was still working on his grand revenge, but he was going to take all the petty little revenges he could. <laughs> uh, we get a very inconvenient homing beacon, a very early design of a homing beacon, I guess, which, you know will go out of range and you'll lose your mark. Uh, <laughs> it, it just hums loudly the closer you get, but if you're far enough away and you lose the tail, then, you know, you, you can make one or two wrong turns and lose it forever. So uh, the movie does a much better job of reinventing yeah. this uh, gadgetry. It's a very long chase across Europe, but also it's kind of riveting, right? There's a lot of love for France in this chapter. France was uh, was a very easy hop and a skip for many English, including myself. Uh, uh, you know, the natural place to go on holiday. The flight that Goldfinger takes and that Bond takes from Lid to Latouke is, in fact, a flight that my parents took many, many times because Lid hmm. is this very small, like aerodrome airport. Um, Latouke is the same, I think, uh, um, and Lid was very close to home. So yeah, they they would take that small flight. Uh, to get to France sometimes, and they loved it. It was so convenient and so quick. It's oh, no longer in operation, so sadly. Of course, of course. Uh, all the good things have gone. Um, I, I, living in Canada, this giant country that, you know, we live 5% of the land, uh, something like going to France for a day trip seems unimaginable. <laughs> <laughs> 
it would be a very short one from here. <laughs> we learned that Bond secretly a huge romantic you know for a sexual predator uh, he day <laughs> he daydreams of courting this stranger uh in the car in front of him but not like just of courting her overnight but over the course of days like oh we would go to dinner and then a hotel but we would get adjoining rooms not the same room because i'm a gentleman <laughs> and then i would take uh. her out the next day but we would be too tired but we would retire in the same room and then on the third night finally bing bang boom we're gonna <laughs> fuck baby <laughs> you've captured his inner monologue perfectly <laughs> yeah uh, right that's beautiful um, yes, thankfully Bond is far too busy with his actual job to chase Tilly across the country, uh, which made me think, well, maybe we should just give men more things to occupy their time so that women can carry on with their business, you know? That sounds like a great <laughs> idea. It would have worked out well for Tilly if uh, only he'd oh. you know, just kept busy. Speaking of, chapter 13, If You Touch Me There, Bond sabotages the woman's car. He realizes that Goldfinger is smuggling the gold in his Rolls Royce. Yeah, if you touch me there, what a what a chapter title. Um, and the end yikes. of that line, you'll have to marry me. Oh my god. And, <laughs> you know, Tilly rightfully slaps Bond for being such an asshole. He is the one who backs into her car. Yes, and then he just gaslights the hell out of her. Oh um, yeah, just t- typical, typical male behavior. Tilly remains very cool and defiant, and uh, I just think this character deserved so much better than she got. Um, uh, both in movie and novel. Yeah, yeah. There's something just, uh, just very, very elegant about Tilly. Uh, and like so many women in these novels, uh, she has like, quote unquote, masculine qualities and yes. energies about her. She's very strong and provocative, uh, and she's... <laughs> This is nerdy, but she's dressed very much like Haruka slash Sailor Uranus out of drag uh, in like giant pants and uh, a man's uh, dress shirt uh, at with the added bonus of like, what, isn't she wearing like a, a pink polka dot scarf over her hair? I love it. Oh, cute. Bond, again, very, a very imaginative person when he wants to be. Um, he says, uh, he says of Tilly, the whole picture seemed to say, now then, you handsome bastard. He loves this idea that, that other people are just like drawn to what In a charismatic, with him. beautiful man he is. <laughs> yeah. like, she's, she's really not thinking, you handsome bastard. I promise you, James. She's no, not. in fact, she's, uh, she basically, when they part in Geneva, is like, I hope we never meet again. And she's yes. so, so wrong, unfortunately. I just love her and she gets the worst end of the stick. She does. Yeah, the line is, she says, that would be nice. The tone of voice said it wouldn't be. <laughs> love, <laughs> love, love that. <laughs> That's a great. You go, girl. Fuck yes. Um, up to this point, I would say I love that the changes the film make to make it more cinematic. The book is meandering in a very fun way. It's still interesting, but it's far less action-packed than most have been. To steal one of your notes, I see here you're talking about the the silver ghost wasn't silver at all. It was a golden it's ghost. Golden ghost. All the two tons of its bodywork. Silver ghost. It turns out very much like platinum plungers. Actually, yes. Gold. Actually, gold. <laughs> <laughs> Chapter fourteen: Things that go thump in the night. Bond finds the woman Tilly plotting to assassinate Goldfinger. He disarms her and learns that she is Jill Masterton's sister, and that Goldfinger murdered Jill. They are both caught by Oddjob. Ugh, 
he is just so rough with Tilly when he comes upon her in the forest aiming her rifle at Goldfinger. And he, like, crushes her and chokes her in this pseudo-sexual way. It's just, like, terrible violence against women. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Tilly Tilly has a, a plan. She's taking revenge, and she's right to do to do so. And this man comes along and, and abuses her and ruins her plans and treats her like she's interfering with his business. Never once does he imagine that he's interfering with hers. They, it turns out they had the same goal in the end. If only yeah. they had worked together from the beginning. Um, here's where we learn that uh, Jill's died. Um, and I, I think it was a very interesting choice uh, for James to like feel the pain of learning about uh, Goldfinger saying she left my employ and like the sudden guilt and realization of this and having to live with her death as a result of his braggadocio and ego for yeah. just a brief moment. You feel that flickering across uh, his mind quickly dropped, but it's <laughs> almost humanizing. Almost, yeah. He never fully wrestles with the fact that it was his poking of the bear that got her killed. Like, mm -hmm. it, yeah. yeah, he kind of brushes up against like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have been so rough in that card game, but... Quickly cast it all aside. Yes. Part 3, Enemy Action. Chapter 15, The Pressure Room. Goldfinger holds Bond and Tilly hostage and prepares to kill Bond. Um, I'll note here that the uh, the three parts of the book describe the three encounters between Bond and Goldfinger uh, and a nice bit of dialogue um, from Goldfinger himself. For, for two people to cross paths, once is happenstance, twice is coincidence. The third time, it's enemy action, is uh, is what Goldfinger says. And uh, so the, the three sec sections are called happenstance, coincidence, and enemy action. Um, it's a nice structure. I like that. It is, and it works very well. I love that. Um, Goldfinger, so much more verbose in the novel than in the film, uh, <laughs> and is also just described as so charismatic that you can't help but fall for his schemes. Even James starts to believe that uh, Goldfinger is going to get away with his big plans uh, yeah. towards the end of the novel. Uh, yeah, he's built up very well. Uh, and I love this line when we get one of the first great villain speeches of the novel. I am very successful and immensely rich, and riches, if I may inflict another of my aphorisms upon you, may not make you friends, but they greatly increase the class and variety of your enemies. Ooh, that's good stuff. That's good writing. <laughs> Um, yeah, this this scene basically inspires one of the most famous scenes in Bond movies, which is, of course, the, the laser and the no, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. Um, but here it's a circular saw, the original giant laser. Yes, it's a terrific torture, I think. Like, the saw blade just feels even more violent than the giant laser. Uh, yeah. So much more uh, tactile, <laughs> plus the added pressure, literally, uh, from jo odd job uh, behind him. Uh, yeah, it, it, great torture scene. Bond needed to be dealt a little bit of damage at this point for the amount of shit that he's put us through. That's true. <laughs> Chapter 16, the last and the biggest. Bond's life is spared. He and Tilly are flown to the United States and offered positions in Goldfinger's organization. I'm just going to say it. This is a weird choice and a huge tactical error. <laughs> yeah, I would say. Like, this man, you caught this woman and men who are trying to either kill you or sabotage you, and mm -hmm. you're going to employ them? I mean, 
friends cl- close, enemies closer, but that seems crazy for someone who's about to pull off the biggest crime of the century. Um, <laughs> James, who is like floating in and out of consciousness and wishing for death, <laughs> is so worried about running into Vesper or one of his <laughs> many other dead ex-girlfriends when he believes he's at the pearly gates it's hilarious (laughs) he's not going to heaven (laughs) right yeah not only does he think he will meet all of these women but he thinks they'll all be like swarming after him and competing for him in the afterlife like they'd be like you motherfucker you got me (laughs) killed yeah (laughs) like dude you you killed all these women maybe kill fewer women that would be a good thing to do if you want to get to heaven yeah seriously uh when he does finally come to he starts crying that he's still alive and i thought that was beautiful and dark um but a really terrible doctor handling his case who's not listening to the patient who's (laughs) literally screaming help he's trying to kill me (laughs) yes yes bond basically says oh i'll work for you don't kill me i'll work for you and goldfinger it, it doesn't really check out makes you know accepts the the offer it's it's not as good as the Grand Slam reveal in the in the movie. Mm-hmm. The fact that Bond has this information that he shouldn't have. Um, I think that's a much better solution to the problem. Um, and the speech is a long way from the the dismissal of "I expect you to die." Though I think the movie version of Goldfinger in this scene does lift some of the speech from uh, from the books. Love the end where he says, and then will come the applause, the applause for the greatest extra-legal coup of all time. (laughs) And Mr. Bond, the world will rock with that applause for centuries. He's just so egomaniacal. It's it's great. He's a rock star villain, that's for sure. We get some awful racism again in this chapter. The phrase lower than apes in the mammalian hierarchy is used to describe korean people i mean it's just i can see why people don't want to read james Bond novels or watch the movies i get it yeah you get it honestly i get it now (laughs) um also the homophobia starting here uh which james doesn't even pick up on uh but goldfinger says here you'll live and work and possibly though personally i have doubts about miss masterton's inclinations in that respect make love yeah he's like oh well i don't see no reason why a woman wouldn't make love to me (laughs) (laughs) aren't i perfect uh chapter 17 hood's congress Bond meets the mobsters who've been recruited to be part of Goldfinger's next operation, including one Miss Pussy Galore. Ah, yes. Uh, Miss Pussy Galore of the Abracats. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is a fun chapter. Like, it's it's basically a who's who of these, like, colourful mobster villains that Fleming loves to... Like, he was so in love with American gangsters and sort of the, the colourfulness that he could... Uh, he could impose upon them the sort of Damon Runyon-esque um, uh, mm. uh, theatricality of it all. Yes, each one gets such a personality and they're so distinct and you, they basically only get one or two scenes essentially in this novel, but my God, he rings the most out of them. Um, yeah. I learned a new word, obstreperous, noisy <laughs> and uncontrollable is the definition. And I thought, yeah, that sounds like James. Yes, absolutely. Um, the fact that his skill now is to be a copyist of meeting agendas, that's, uh, <laughs> that's an extraordinary step down for an assassin, but, uh, or maybe it's a step up in some regards, you know. In some regards, um, yes. 
among the uh, the people we encounter, Mr. Jed Midnight of the Shadow Syndicate. I would love to to know more about Jed Midnight. I mean, I feel like th- he can't live up to that billing. It's so good. No, um, right? Billy Ring gets maybe the most vivid description. This sort of hideously de- deformed. I mean, like he's been literally um, had his face he's had cut his off lower by his enemies. Yeah, his lower lip has been cut off, so he has a yeah. permanent grin. He's called the Grinner. It's a uh, yes, very a vivid little- and. Mm-hmm. Uh, Helmut, Helmut Springer, who I assume is a homosexual. Um, oh, absolutely. Gangsters and gays, we go together like uh, peanut butter and jelly, apparently, in Fleming's um, imagination. That's exactly right. And then, to like really top it off, we get introduced to the Miss Pussy Galore of the Cement Mixers, Harlem, mm-hmm. New York City. It's a lesbian organization. Uh, even the big <laughs> American gangs respect them. She is a remarkable woman. And he describes her. She had pale Rupert Brooke good looks with high cheekbones and a beautiful <laughs> jawline. And I had to look up Rupert Brooke, uh, an English poet who unfortunately died in his uh, late 20s, who was a beautiful, beautiful man. Uh, and I thought, oh, yeah, wow, this really is the gayest chapter. <laughs> uh, Yates described him as the handsomest young man in England. OK, I mean, was he, you know? Um, surely a, a beautiful young poet, right? <laughs> died died before he turned thirty. That sounds like the queer narrative we're used to. Uh, bisexual writers—that's one of his categories in Wikipedia. So yes, there we go. <laughs> He's also in the category infectious disease deaths in Greece. Oh no! If that's a category, <laughs> <laughs> Wikipedia—you're dark sometimes. Um, <laughs> Speaking of dark, there is so much misogyny in this chapter. Oh, you know, it it God, starts yeah. with Bond saying he, he looked thoughtfully at the girl. He decided it would be ungallant to spank her, so to speak, Ugh. on an empty stomach. Not ungallant to spank her, ungallant to spank on her an on an empty, empty stomach. stomach. Yikes. And when Tilly raises any objection at all to their undertaking, he says, there's no point in being a suffragette about this. Oh, my God. That was <sighs> brutal. Tilly holding her own in all of these conversations. She said coldly, precisely, you got us into this. Get us out. Bond said amiably. Mm-hmm. I may be able to. I got us out of our graves. And she says, after getting us into them. It's like, yes, yes. girl, thank you. Someone has to get it. <laughs> Bond just doesn't get lesbians. He really doesn't. I mean, the line, he felt the sexual challenge all beautiful lesbians have for men. Oh, oh my God. God. I mean, Jesus Christ. Men, don't center yourself in lesbianism. <laughs> you <know? Yeah>. <laughs> the concept of lesbians is not for you. Yeah, they're, they don't want you. Uh, just butt out. N- none of your business. <laughs> One thing that occurred to me reading this this book this time around is that Pussy Galore definitely feels like Ian Fleming's drag persona. Like, <laughs> he, he really wants to be her. He really yeah. wants to. He, he wants to fuck Bond, obviously. Um, oh, and uh, and he like he just loves describing her like the swing of her hips and all of this stuff that's very like occupying a a feminized ideal. Yes, absolutely. Um, this is the novel that always made me think like maybe Fleming had some really unresolved issues with his own sexuality because it is shining through clear as day here. (laughs) Yeah. Chapter 18, Crime de la Crime. Goldfinger outlines his plan to rob Fort Knox. So many specific details about Fort Knox and the plan. (laughs) Uh, We get a map. 
yeah, we get an actual map in the book at this point. Yeah. <laughs> Here it is. That's what it looks like. Um, okay. I, I, yeah. I, I mean, I love a map in Lord of the Rings where you kind of need it to tell you what's going to happen, but all of this just feels so unnecessary. (laughs) (laughs) Especially given how, like, quick the actual heist section of the book is, you know? Yeah. I mean, this is chapter 18 of 23. Like, we are zooming towards the end. Yes. Uh, The only spice I found in this chapter was, like, Pussy chiming in with zingers and Bond realizing how, like, fucked up Goldfinger (laughs) is to play with atomic bombs. Uh, yeah, Pussy, I mean, again, this is where Pussy is the, the drag persona of Ian Fleming, because she is absolutely, like, d- delivering little quips. If I had to do it all over again, I'd do it all over you. Um, what a line. And sorry, mister, none of my set of bent pins could take that kind of piggy bank. Um, <laughs> love it. Love it. I w- I'm calling myself a bent pin from now on. We are definitely <laughs> taking that back. Chapter 19, Secret Appendix. Goldfinger eliminates two mobsters who decline to be part of his plan. Bond tries to slip out a note to the CIA with a reward. The two that he eliminates are Mr. Helmut Springer and his sidekick Slappy Hapgood. Slappy Hapgood. Um, who, I, I think we established, you know, Helmut Springer was the dandy, so maybe Slappy was also a dandy, and so this is a bit of a kill your gaze moment. Um, they died oh, by yeah. stairs. Rest in ple- peace, Helmut and Slappy. Yeah. A lot less interesting punishment than getting crushed in a car, I suppose. Yes, uh, true. <laughs> and all off screen. Uh, Mr. Solo just busting out an electric razor during, like, a formal meeting. Very indecent behavior. <laughs> <laughs> like, save it for after the meeting, man. My God. Absolutely. I did, I did stumble a little bit here. There's a point where, where Bond describes, uh, hit as mob ease for murder. <laughs> and I was like, Mobis? What is Mobis? Uh, you and I had the exact same problem at this exact same spot. <laughs> Took me three times reading that line to figure out what I was reading. <laughs> Mobis. That's a, Mobis? a colorful Mobis. Word. Yeah, <laughs> Mobis. <laughs> Goldfinger talks about blowing the doors open on Fort Knox with a uh, nuclear bomb, and I said, my, my god, that money is definitely going to get irradiated. We... Have we learned nothing about radiation in 1958? Um, I mean, they learned it in time for the movie. <laughs> yeah, thank God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then at the end, we get just like the most damning indictment of queerness and lesbians from James Bond. He said he Bond came to the conclusion that Tilly Masterson was one of those girls whose hormones got mixed up. He knew the type well and thought they and their male counterparts were a direct Hello. consequence of giving votes to women and sex equality. Fuck you, dude. We are here. We are queer. And get the fuck used to it. Honestly, I, the idea that I'm gay because women can vote uh, <laughs> is laughable. It's, it's amazing. Do you know how much, like, most gay men hate women? <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> yes, misogyny is a real problem in the gay community. Uh, yes. Gentlemen, please get the hell over it. Thank you. Do better. Uh, uh, Jet Midnight, by contrast, is, uh, has much better things to say about lesbians. His, his line about pussy glories, pussy gets the girl she wants. She consumes them in bunches like grapes, if you follow me. Um, I follow I you, I do Jay. follow you. I follow yeah. you. 
And it should be noted, by the way, Bond is the one that has become a secretary in all this. He is just doing admin. Uh, so if he wants to talk about emasculation, girl, start with yourself, you know? Right? I mean, he gets... <laughs> he, he This kind of happens to him in so many of these novels. Like, the broken pinky and live and let die how he couldn't yeah. perform because of it and how he like began to suck at his job because of it uh and there's a bunch of other examples i'm sure but he always gets put in this like cuckold position essentially yes. and yeah once it's again true. just another strike for like what's going on in the mind of ian fleming chapter 20 journey into holocaust the group travel to kentucky I mean, <laughs> you can it. use the word Holocaust in the chapter title, and that's all that happens. My God. Yeah, that's uh, that's really setting us up for something that never happens. Yeah. Goldfinger is trying to play off to air traffic control, uh, that they're filming a movie about the Civil War and this last battle stand starring Cary Grant and Elizabeth Taylor and... I just don't think that those two would ever stoop to make such a boring <laughs> sounding movie. No, no. It's a, it's a cover story that's full of holes. Um, yes. <laughs> the great thing here is, is that Bond's uh, desperate attempt to slip a message out relies on the idea that uh, none of the passengers would lift the toilet seat. Ugh. So <laughs> he's relying on men being thoughtless, inconsiderate assholes to save the day. Um, and it works out. Great. It, and I mean, yeah, look, look at the content of all of the characters so far. Uh, yeah. I love that Pussy knows the score in regards to Bond, um, but I'm very confused how she's somehow more interested in him than she is with Tilly. Tilly yeah. seems like a real catch and Bond seems like a real asshole. Chapter 21, The Richest Man in History. Goldfinger carries out his heist, but Felix Leiter and the CIA surprise them. Goldfinger flees, and Tilly is killed by Oddjob. Ah, poor, poor Tilly. Um, Ooh, so besotted. awful and meaningless. So awful. And she, yeah, she's besotted with, uh, with Pussy, who is not reciprocating, it seems, at this point. But um, yeah, that proves to be the death of her, death by lesbianism. Um, yep. Not great, Ian. Not, Not great. Great. Um, backtracking to the beginning of the chapter, is this a ruse? Uh, sorry, the the ruse that everyone's actually not dead uh, in the yes. town. Uh, the the water was not poisoned, as was part of the plan. So the sixty thousand residents of Fort Knox are actually still alive, but they are all pretending to be dead. So you're telling me that not one <laughs> single person coughed at the wrong time and. They just laid on the ground like that for, what, eight, ten hours? What about the property damage from all the cars that, quote-unquote, smashed through windows? Uh, just quite the setup to get the whole town in on this and for it to go off without a hitch. Yeah, it, it doesn't make sense in the movie. It makes doesn't make sense, sense here. in the novel. But it's sort of easier to ignore in the novel. <laughs> but it yeah. makes yeah, less sense, as you said, yeah. We get this, like, totally different ending, too, where they're basically just all stuck on the train for the entire time. All of the ha action is being told through commands and orders, and we don't actually yeah. see any of it. And Bond and Tilly kind of just jump out. I mean, the fact that Tilly is still here was a big change to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's basically, it ends with uh, the, with Bond and Tilly running for their lives. 
Yeah, and and I did wonder, you know, is this a better or worse end for Tilly? Like in both book and movie, she is killed by Odd Job and his uh, his weighted bowler hat. So, yeah, like is it is it better that we got to have her around longer, um, or is it worse that she sort of got such a, a like a shitty journey through the you know the the part of the the story that she's she's in is not good for Tilly. Like it's not no, kind to and, her. And I will I will say that. The beginning of Tilly's uh, experience in this novel is great. Like, I feel like we really get to know her. But then by this last third of the novel, she's become kind of a nothing character who's just kind of slightly antagonistic towards Bond and uh, obsessed over pussy galore. But it's not really explained in much detail. She just kind of slips off to the sideline in this and then you're like, oh, she's still there. We, we got to go. And then bam, she's dead. Yeah. It feels to me as if Fleming maybe intended for her to be, you know, the the Bond girl of the book. And then he created Pussy Galore and was so smitten by the character he had created that he was like, oh, well, I guess I'm going to just switch gears here. Um, yeah. You know, it, it, because you could very easily have had Tilly have the same arc, the same, you know, the, the lesbian that, um, is fixed by Bond, the, the gross, gross story that gets, uh, handed to Pussy Glore could equally grossly have been handed to Tilly. Um, so yeah, there is something odd about the way that well, as soon as Pussy arrives in the book, Tilly sort of just slides into the background. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also, Bond's words at the discovery are of her body are like so disgusting. He and Felix yeah. are kind of like looking at her, and uh, he basically says, Ugh, "The bitch hated men and wouldn't listen to me." <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, okay, nice, dude. You like you've spent days together, trapped. Uh, you've learned about her. You sabotaged her. You've hurt her, and now you got her murdered. And you're gonna blame her for yeah. you getting her murdered. It's, why would she have listened to you? You've not been good to her at any point. Yeah. Ugh. Rough. Rough go for Tilly. <laughs> we we got two to four chapters built around a golf game. We get less than one chapter for the heist and uh, a gunfight. And yeah, it's this is a very unbalanced book. Um, yeah, definitely. But Bond does get to use his, use his shoe knife, which... He definitely stole the idea from Rosa Klebb. Um, and oh, I yeah. Should, should give credit where it's due. Uh, I, I love the shoe knife. Uh, it's mentioned earlier in the novel. It, it comes into play here. Uh, it, obviously, we know from from Russia with love. It's always a great gift. Chapter 22, The Last Trick. Two days later, Bond is captured by Goldfinger. James gets a one-on-one with, I guess, President Eisenhower, which seems very <laughs> embarrassing. Um, and we learned that Bond hates inoculation, which I guess means he's anti-vax, probably? <laughs> he does seem to be in this instance, though he, in this case, he is right to be because, uh, the vaccine is in fact just, uh, a knockout drug. Um, yeah. But, uh, so he was right this one time, but. Yeah. <laughs> otherwise, please get vaccinated, people. Yeah. Um, Let's not tell the anti-vaxxers what we just said. <laughs> So yeah, Bond wakes up on a plane and Pussy Galore is there and she says, uh, uh, of, of the food on the, on the, what's it, a BOAC flight? Not a mm-hmm. sign of a Brussels sprout. And if there's tea, I haven't gone around to it yet. Um, <laughs> lovely to know that's what, uh, that, that's our reputation. Brussels sprouts and tea. Both oh, things that God. I love. <laughs> <laughs> 
I just find it's hilarious that Goldfinger is literally everywhere. <laughs> like, he just shows up. Yeah, this is their fourth now meeting, and this time he arranged it. So what does that get put down as in the ledger, you know? Revenge. Uh, yeah, I guess, yeah, revenge. Uh, Bond <laughs> is a very bossy hostage. He's all, yes. oh no, untie me, give me whiskey. He's been doing this all novel, too. Like, he's, I mean, <laughs> he's also been treating Oddjob like absolute shit. But it is oh, kind yeah. of hilarious that he's like, well, I'm your prisoner, and if I'm, if you're going to keep me alive, then this is how I demand you do it. <laughs> yes. The bossiest bottom you ever did meet. Mm-hmm. Um, but also a celebrity, because everyone at Spectre is just crazy about James Bond. They all oh, know yeah. about him. <laughs> Getting a signed <laughs> picture of James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> And finally, chapter 23, TLC Treatment. Bond kills Oddjob and Goldfinger. Bond takes Pussy to bed. Boo! Mm, (laughs) Awful, awful, terrible, terrible ending. Terrible (laughs) ending for Pussy, especially. Just, yeah. yeah, Horrible. And as you said, she gets, we, we get her tragic backstory that maybe could have been applied to either of the other women in the book um if they had been the ones to survive and it's on the last fucking page like did literally wasted all time to get to any kind of backstory for the character and the and the worst most typical like literally the same backstory that every woman in all of these novels has incestuous incestuous rape uh and you know Apparently, all she needed was to find the right man to fix all of her problems. It's so easy to just not be a lesbian. <laughs> yeah, woman after woman, whether it's like uh, Honey Rider or Tiffany Case, they're all like, they all hate men until they meet James Bond, because apparently he's a great model of manhood. Uh, he's not coming across, James. Really no. not coming across. Uh, we get two of my biggest fears in this novel. A, being sucked out of a depressurizing plane, and B, the plane <laughs> crashing into the ocean. Both things I never, ever want to experience. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, the the description of Odd Job being sucked out of the window is really quite graphic, quite yeah. gruesome. Um, Goldfinger's death, by comparison, is this sort of incidental act of explosive violence. He just beats the guy to death. <laughs> Which I was thinking, oh, this is very uncharacteristic. And then I had to think back and I was like, no, actually, that's usually how this ends. <laughs> he usually just like snaps and is like, fuck you for making me do all of this for 23 chapters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's just like, I, you made me copy meetings for a minutes for a meeting, you <laughs> son of a... Um, I I love that we get a come from away crossover here in that they are <laughs> Gander, forced to land yes. near Gander, uh, the, the, the the location of the musical Come From Away. Um, and on another musical note, Bond explains to Pussy the concept of TLC, but doesn't explain the concept of no scrubs. Well, scrubs don't see scrubs. <laughs> That's true. That is so true. Well, let's talk about everything that Bond eats and drinks in the novel. I'll go first because he starts with four double bourbons. He certainly does. And then he has a vodka martini, Pomeray 50 pink champagne, crabs with toast and melted butter. Uh, lovely, mm. lovely overindulgent stuff. Sounds amazing. Pomeray, great. Uh, shrimp cocktail, snapper, roast prime ribs of beef au jus, and pineapple surprise are next on the menu. Vintage champagne and caviar sandwiches. That's vintage oh, champagne yum. and caviar sandwiches. Not champagne and caviar sandwiches. That would be weird. <laughs> right, thank you. Uh... <laughs> We get a lot of the following. Vodka tonic uh, with ham sandwiches and plenty of mustard. 
followed by a large vodka tonic. And then a strong gin and tonic. Oh, yes. Then curried shrimp and rice with peace porter Goldtroffen 53, roast duckling mm. with mouton Rothschild 47, cheese mm. souffle, and coffee. Oh, my God. Two great wines. Uh, he gets two oeuf cocotte à la crème, a large sole munier, and an adequate camembert, a well-iced <laughs> pint of rose d'Anjou, ugh, and a Hennessy's three-star <laughs> with coffee. Then he has a café complète with coffee. Café complète is a continental breakfast. Ah, thank you. Uh, oh my god, so much food in this one. Very, so very much. leaning in on the richness of this one. Uh, Lyon yeah. sausage, a loaf of bread, butter, and half a litre of Macon are next. Then Encien with choucroute and a carafe of fondant, gruyere, pumpernickel, and coffee. I don't mm. know what a carafe of fondant means. Is it a wine? I... No. I looked it up. I could not find information on it. Like fondant to me means like cake decorating. Uh, you don't serve it in a craft. Ancien is a is a gentian uh, liqueur, like a sort of mm-hmm. spicy alpine. Spicy. It's it's an alpine uh, herbal liqueur. Um, so uh, not unlike Benedictine, actually. I I thought maybe it was um, liquid cheese or that you dip stuff into. What's that called? Oh, a fondue. Oh, may a may fo- may well yes. be yes. A- a carafe of fondant could be fondue. Yeah. That's yeah, kind of what I was thinking. Sense. Uh, oh, we're not finished. He also has a bourbon and soda. Then caviar and champagne. Followed by a bourbon and soda. <laughs> and then whiskey. <laughs> That's the perfect way to end that. Uh, let's go over <laughs> our highlights and lowlights, shall we? Yes, let's. The highlight for me has to be Tilly and pussy being badass bosses in the face of horrifying misogyny and violence and homophobia yeah i i I narrowed it down even further to just tilly for me like i think you know pussy steals the movie but for me tilly uh i just love the book version of tilly and hate what she becomes but i love that she establishes the limits of bond's personal magnetism yes that's great uh she and she never cracks like she's she never falls in for him and i love that for her i'm Uh, gonna choose to believe that she actually isn't dead she just pretends to be dead and then she just slips away with some of the gold oh that would be so nice (laughs) uh low light tilly's meaningless death (laughs) yeah yeah it's the the women either die or get straightened out um either way it's a low light i'll give an honorable mention to golf he loves only golf (laughs) <laughs> oh just like the song um yeah wh- what was your favorite glamour moment i mean it's still pussy galore like she is she is the uh the drag icon she is a babe even yeah. on the page love her what about you uh i mean i love the drive through france and switzerland i thought that felt very glamorous i love tilly's riding outfit as i mentioned before mm. just like pants and a masculine cut shirt and then this pink polka dot uh handkerchief tied around her head great touch. uh and then also yeah everything pussy does and says is fantastic she is great now queerest moment you have a list here I mean, there are so many queer moments. We get pansified <laughs> Italians, bent pins, gangs of lesbians, uh, but nothing tops. Ha! Tilly falling for pussy. Yeah, yeah. I, I gave an honorable mention to the battle cry that Felix delivers when he uh, arrives on the scene of Santiago, oh my uh, which God. is his special battle cry for his best boyfriend, best James. Bud. <laughs> We're um, just good friends who hold hands. Yeah, but no, it, it's pussy and Tilly. That is the queerest moment. Uh, ooh, the sexiest moment? 
I mean, it's uh, being seduced by a wealthy man who lures you back to his hotel for crabs with melted butter. Mm. That, for me, is a dream. I don't even need sex. I just need crab with melted butter. Oh, honestly, that sounds great. I would let any man do that for me anytime. Uh, I would give a shout out to Jill Masterson lounging in just her black bra and panty set. Uh, I, that That's pretty sexy. It's hot. Uh, best line? When Bond arrives at the Grange, uh, Goldfinger's place in Reculver, uh, and discovers the cat and uses him to get out of a uh, situation, he says... There wouldn't be enough ginger cats in the world to help him out of one more tight spot like the one he was in. And I don't know. That <laughs> leapt off the page for me, Andrew. <laughs> Honestly, the idea that like if, if I could just reach a ginger cat, I would be able to defeat Dr. No. Um, <laughs> How about for you? Well, we, we called it out earlier. Bond went to his suitcase again and took out a thick book, the Bible designed to be read as literature, opened it and extracted his Walter PPK. Ooh, uh, I mean, that's the most character sentence we get about James yes. Bond in this book. It says so it's much so in good. so little space. And and yet it's also very funny. <laughs> yeah, it's very good. Uh, what was the most timeless moment for you? I mean, people who choose not to drink, not people who can't drink, but people who choose not to drink being terrible bores about it. <laughs> uh, Goldfinger definitely gets that. And also his whole thing about alcohol, just feeling like uh, uh, an aunt's Facebook posts, like, please. <laughs> what yeah. about you? Uh, uh, well, again, I'm so sorry, Dad, but golf is boring in every <laughs> medium. It certainly is. Uh, cringiest moment. I mean, I think you have the plum one here, but I'm going to give a shout out. Odd job and the cat. Oof, really yeah. ugly stuff. But, I mean, it has to be the erasure of lesbian identities. Um, yeah. That is such a problem that that it ruins this reread for me. Yeah. It's, it, there's a, there are a lot of problematic elements. Racism, sexism, queerphobia. Um, mm. Jill and Tilly both added to the book version of The Vesper List. It's a, it's a flawed book. Jane. It is a flawed, a flawed book. book. And now <laughs> what what we have to give it a rating, and I don't know how we're going to do that. Uh, <laughs> we're each going to give the novel a score between one and three, and then we get to award bonus points from four categories. Bondian competence, accidental progressiveness, queerness, and glamour. <laughs> we'll start with our base scores. <laughs> Andrew? I, as a book, it's very good. I don't think it's one of the greats actually on on third fourth read through because there mm. are some dragging parts and and a lot of what's great about it is improved in the movie so it's a two for me i'm gonna have to agree and i think honestly if it just weren't so racist and sexist yeah. and queerphobic it would be so much more readable i am going to give bond the bondian competence point in this one like he is on to goldfinger from the very start and makes some very clever moves in the first two parts of this novel and he kind of gets fucked over in the last part but he kind of wants to so uh yeah uh, he gets it yeah i can't really argue it's yeah he he does have goldfinger's number and he does do a very good job of tracking him down and, and working out what's going on um i think Tilly would have done a better job. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but, agreed. Uh, but yes, no, Bond Bond is actually uh, performing pretty well in this book. Unusually so for him. Um, <laughs> now, this one we could argue over, but I think we might both agree in the end. Was there any accidental 
progressiveness in this novel. <laughs> I mean, you could make an argument that just, I mean, just acknowledging, <laughs> oh God, queer that's a low people? Bar. Just Honestly. acknowledging queer people and having like one of them be very competent, but of course it's the one that abandons uh, her lesbian identity. Um, and let me be clear, you can be a lesbian and still sleep with men. That's, that's like, queerness is a, a wonderful kaleidoscope. Um, if that is how you choose to express yourself sexually, good for you but what's happening in this book is not about a complex uh queer identity it's no. about a male fantasy and uh yeah i i'm withholding any accidental progressiveness from this book what about you uh i think you said everything that i was feeling so i'm gonna have to agree with you i can't give the point on this one um but i think that the score will make make up for itself in the next two because do i find this novel glamorous yes i think a big point of this novel is to feel very glamorous i mean we spent five minutes talking about what he ate and drank <laughs> there's so yeah. much luxury and richness in this novel yeah it gets a glamour point for me yeah i think so the locations as well even though a lot of it's like the uk a lot of it's the places i grew up in um still it does it is a very luxe book it's some of the best food we've seen in all the bond novels so yeah, and described with point. such loving detail um and then we like this is obvious is this novel queer absolutely it has the most queer characters ever in a bond novel uh yeah. we openly talk about queer people uh you know we ruin it by the end of it but my god do we get <laughs> a lot of queer people in this novel and i do appreciate that and do you agree? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I assume you do. It. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's no arguing. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. uh we we are exactly aligned in our scores this time around. We are both giving and, 5 points to Goldfinger. Yep. Uh truly it, it if it weren't for that horrible uh Bond character, this novel would have been so great. <laughs> uh, yes, Tilly Masterton's Goldfinger. Uh, that's the book we really love. Want. That. Oh my god, that's what we need to write. Next time on Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, we get to talk about 1981's For Your Eyes Only. Certainly one of my favorite theme songs of all time. I think a great return to form for the film series uh, after... This is a Roger Moore film, so it got pretty clowny, <laughs> and we're about to get serious again. And I think it, it gets great when it gets serious. But we'll see how it holds up in two weeks' time. I'm really interested to have this conversation, actually, because I know that you do have a strong affection for this one. And I and I know you might not. More, <laughs> I've always been a little more jaded about it. And even on my most recent rewatch, I, I wasn't generous. But I, I'm going to try and see it through your eyes this time on my this rewatch, I think. Oh, thank you, Andrew. <laughs> uh, and you can follow Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and tell me that my generosity is absolutely misplaced on twitter and instagram <laughs> at kkbbpod or send us uh golden bonmos at kisskissbangbangpod at gmail.com you can also follow our individual twitter accounts at wheeler and at shane came back please do share like rate and review kiss kiss bang bang on your preferred podcasting and social media platforms it does make a huge difference our graphics are provided by the incredibly talented carl Schurer. he loves only fonts you can follow him <laughs> on Twitter and Instagram at Carlshura, C-A-R-L-S-H-U-R-A. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is recorded in Toronto on the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabeg, 
the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples. We acknowledge that we are settlers on unceded territory. We, of course, end every episode with a great piece of Bond-related music. And Shane, what are we going to sign off with this week? Well, uh, and if you'll play this just for a snippet now, I was going to cover this great Goldfinger. Uh, sorry, I was going to cover Goldfinger. It's this <laughs> great one by Shaka Khan. And it's pretty generic, but I love Shaka Khan and she does a great job in it. Yeah, love Shaka Khan. Goldfinger He's a man The man with the mightest touch The spider's touch But In honor of Monty Norman, I feel that it's most appropriate for our final song this week to be the James Bond theme. We haven't played it on our playlist yet, uh, and I think now is the right time to add it in there. It is truly one of the most significant film music pieces in history, uh, and it's a banger to this day. It really is. Rest in peace, Monty Norman. Thank you all for listening. Until next time, kiss kiss, bang bang. <laughs>